Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter number 3. Perhaps you've seen a picture, the cartoon that depicts a man crawling across the desert. Well, tonight I I want you to imagine that you are crawling across a sun-scorched desert. You're literally dying of thirst. And you're at the very point of death. But just ahead of you, you see a sign that reads, Cool, clear, life-giving water just ahead. The sign gives you renewed hope and energy. And so you continue your tormented crawl across the blazing sand. As you arrive at that promised place, you see a magnificent building. The sign outside invites you in with the promise of life-giving water. So you stagger through the entrance into a beautiful building, and there before you is the promised well. There's a bucket there ready to be let down and filled with water to quench your thirst and to pour life back into your body. With your last bit of strength, you lower the bucket into the well, expecting to hear a splash. But instead, you hear a thud as the bucket hits the bottom. Well, you think perhaps you're just delirious. So you reel in the bucket to find that it is indeed filled with sand, sand that cannot quench your thirst. It only deepens your thirst and destroys all your hope. That may sound like a scene out of a very cheap novel, but I fear it is also the experience of many people who go to God's house expecting to find the water and bread of life, only to find the trappings of religion, but not really finding any help or any hope. I think it is more than ironic that the one place that ought to be characterized by life is so often characterized by death. Have you ever been to a dead church? Dead churches are not confined to any denomination. Neither are they defined to any particular type of church. There are dead Orthodox churches, dead traditional churches, dead liberal churches. Whatever the theological leaning, dead is dead. Some die because of tradition. We've never done it that way before. And that kills the spirit of innovation. Some die because of prejudice. We don't want that kind of person in our church. And so it keeps them from reaching a changing neighborhood. Others die because of Complacency replaces fervency. People lose heart in doing good and just give up. But whatever else goes wrong, one thing especially will kill a church, and that is when we stop trying to reach the lost. Tonight we're going to examine such a place. It's called Sardis. Now, you remember that the letter is written by the Apostle John. It is written from Jesus to to seven literal churches existing in Asia. 
seven churches that were in existence as John wrote this letter down. It also characterized seven stages of Christianity as it has passed through the ages. Tonight we get to the place that we consider Sardis the dead church. It says in verse 1 of chapter 3, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the thing which remains that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard and hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The city of Sardis lay about 35 miles southeast of Thyatira and 50 miles east of Smyrna. The location is now the modern city of Sart in Turkey. Sardis was the capital of the old kingdom of Lydia. And the name Sardis means remnant or escaping ones. It represents the church during the Reformation period from about A.D. 1500. You remember that Martin Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the doors of the Wittenberg Church in 1517, so from about 1500 to 1700. The way that the Lord represents himself to each of the seven churches holds the key to what the churches need. The attribute of Christ that is stressed here is his protective power. Whatever the future may hold, Christ holds his church and he will preserve it. And he will preserve anyone who will listen to his voice. The Lord presents himself in verse 1 as the one who has seven spirits of God. The seven spirits represent the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, he says he holds the seven stars. And as we've already seen as we've gone through these letters, these seven stars are the leaders, are the pastors, are the elders of these seven churches to whom the letters are written. Because he says he holds the stars, he is stating that it is he who is in control of the leadership of the churches. Even though he is about to issue a stinging rebuke, he reminds the church at Sardis that he still has the leaders in his hands and was concerned about them and the churches that they lead. Now notice with me, first of all, the condition of this church. It's strange that in spite of the fact that the church at Sardis is in the middle of a city with a strong tradition of worshiping the Roman emperor and a devotion to the goddess Artemis, there is no mention of any persecution. That would seem to indicate that the church at Sardis was a perfect example of inoffensive Christianity. It was, its light was so dim 
that it didn't even disturb the darkness. It is the first church that we've come to that receives no word of commendation. However, there is, there is a recognition that there are still a faithful few. He says in verse 4, You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. In the previous four cities, evil was the, the exception, but in Sardis, <clears throat> evil ruled. Instead, the church receives only condemnation. He says in the first part of verse 1, I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. And then in the second part of verse 2, he says, For I have not found your works perfect before God. The church would have been better off if it had experienced some persecution, for it had grown comfortable and content and was living on its past reputation. They are condemned, first of all, for their lifeless profession. It is a warning to all churches about living on past glory. The Lord says you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. They had a name as a church, but it was past. They are what we today would call nominal Christians. Nominal comes from the word name, and it means someone who has a name for something but is not, or in other words, in name only. Jesus says that they have a name that they are alive, but they are dead. A nominal Christian is a person who is a Christian in name only, not in reality, but simply they call themselves a Christian. The Lord says you're living on your past reputation. This means that as a church, that perhaps they're still busy. They have meetings on a regular basis. It's alarming to consider that they may perhaps still be gathering on Sunday and probably have preaching and singing and a lot of activities, but no life. Some churches think that everything is all right as long as they're holding services. Well, what happens to a church to make it dead? I think at one time there may have been life in every church or the church would not have been founded. But I think some, something can happen which can cause the church to become so inward focused that the only thing they think about is themselves. To the eyes of the world, the Sardis church was thriving, but the Lord was not impressed. The church was not what the world said it was, and even more importantly, the church was not what the Lord intended it to be. They also were condemned for their incomplete works. He says, for I have not found your works perfect. I don't misconstrue what it says here. When we see the word perfect, we tend to think without error. But the word perfect here is teleos, which means complete, mature. He's not saying they, that their problem is that their, their works are, uh, have problems, that they're not quote-unquote perfect. He's saying the works of Sardis are incomplete because they have not produced any results for the Lord. Secondly, we look at the cure of the church. 
He says in verse 2, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain and that are ready to die. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I come upon you. There are five imperatives here. Imperatives are commands. He says, first of all, be watchful. Literally, be watchful means to be aware or to wake up. The metaphor has changed in he is no longer talking about death, but talking about sleep. You can't appeal to dead people to wake up, but you can appeal to people who are asleep. Some of the church members were sleeping. The Lord uses an image that would cause the members to remember their own proud history as a city. In its past... This city of Sardis had known dazzling glory under the mid-6th century rule of Crocus, a king renowned for his wealth. Sardis seemed impregnable. It sat on top of a hill surrounded by high cliffs which no army could scale. Cocky and self-confident, the people of Sardis slept soundly while Cyrus, the Persian king, and his army climbed the steep cliffs. And when the sun rose over Sardis that day in 549 B.C., its inhabitants discovered that they should have been watching instead of sleeping. Did the people of Sardis learn a lesson? Perhaps for a while, but they forgot to tell their children. In 214 B.C., Sardis fell again when Antiochus the Great surprised the sleeping city by again scaling the cliffs at night. So he's appealing to uh, something that has happened in their history, warning them about what happened when people went to sleep and let down their guard. Sardis had fell twice by failing to be vigilant against attack. Just as a city can be lost through carelessness, a church can be lost through complacency. He says, strengthen the things which remain. The word strengthen means to establish or confirm. Something has to be done to stop the downward slide of this church. Then he says, you, are, you need to remember how you received and heard. He's not asking them just to remember what they have heard. He says, I want you to remember how, what effect it had upon you when you heard it. They needed to remember not only what they had received and heard, but how they had received it and heard it. This implies that they had lost their joy. So what needs to happen is that they need to reestablish God and his purpose in their lives. And that will begin by regaining their lost sense of joy. If we went to the Old Testament, we would discover in in Psalm 51 verse 12 a story about David's repentance after his sin with Bathsheba. A key part of David's repentance is revealed in Psalm 51 12 when he prayed Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. The church at Sardis needed to look back and regain the joy in the Lord that they had once known. 
He says you also need to hold fast. That means literally to keep, to guard, or to treasure something, to, to count it of such value that you give it great care. So what are they to hold fast? They're hold fast to the gospel, to the word of God. The church at Sardis had gotten so busy, they had forgotten what they were really about. And then last, he says, you need to repent. And the word repent is a Greek word. It is a, given to us in aorist tense imperative, which means a once for all time action. The Lord is saying you must alter your present course. The unsaved saw the church at Sardis as, as neither dangerous nor desirable. They were decent people with a dying witness in a decaying church. Uh, look with me at the challenge to the church found in verse 4. He says, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before the Father and before the angels. And he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The reward that is promised by the Lord is always appropriate for that particular church. In this case, it is a recognition of the faithful few. It is promises to a remnant that exists within the church at Sardis. First of all, he says, you'll be clothed in white. Now, the majority of the people in Sardis, we've been told in verse 4, have defiled their garments. That is, they have been defiled by sin. But even in Sardis, there are those who love and serve the Lord from a pure heart. He says, not only you'll be clothed in white, but he says, your name will be contained in the book of life. And I will not, I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Does that imply that the loss, that these individuals have lost their salvation, that one can lose their salvation because of what they've done or haven't done? Well, I don't think so. It would appear that God's book of life contains the names of all the living. If one dies without making Jesus Christ their personal Savior, then their names are removed from the book of the living. At the judgment, the book will contain only the names of believers. It then becomes the Lamb's book of life that we find in Revelation chapter 20 because by that time, only the saved have their names in it. It goes right along the lines of what had happened in history Ancient cities had the names of their citizens recorded in a register until they died. And when they died, their names were marked out of the book of the living. Rather than warning of losing one's salvation then, it is a reassurance that that cannot happen. The word will not is the strongest negative possible in the Greek language. It is an emphatic double negative, and it means never, ever under any circumstances. And that's quite a reassurance. 
the true believer's name will not be blotted out of the book of life. Never, ever, under any circumstances. Yet the promise that those who persevere will not be blotted out of the book of life is a serious warning to those of any age who are just nominal Christians. Christians in name only. Individuals who trust solely in some isolated experience, whether it was praying a prayer or walking forward in a service, and that is not backed up by a lifetime commitment of following Jesus, they need to be very careful. And then he says they are confessed by the Father. You remember in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32 that Jesus says those that will confess him before men He will confess them before the Father. Overcomers then will have the joy of Christ's acknowledgement before the Father and before his angels. Let me end with an illustration tonight. Dr. A.J. Gordon was a preacher from England who came to a very dead and dull, formal, downtown Boston, Massachusetts church. He was a fiery preacher because God had touched his life and changed him forever. He didn't wear a robe, which was unusual for a very formal church, and he preached Jesus to those people with great zeal and great fervor. And they sat out there shell-shocked for a whole month. They were ready to fire A.J. Gordon and send him back across the Atlantic Ocean to England. Then one Sunday, he preached a sermon he called The Funeral of the Church Here in Boston. This is what he said. Ecclesiastical corpse lie all around us. The caskets in which they repose are lined with satin and are decorated with solid silver handles and abundant flowers. Like the other caskets, they are just large enough for their occupant with no room for converts. These churches have died from the disease of respectable formalism and have been embalmed in self-complacency. If by the grace of God this church is alive, be warned to our opportunity or the feet of them that buried thy sister churches will be at thy door to carry thee out. The church is dying soon. After he preached that sermon, he had a casket down in front of the pulpit, and he opened it, and he asked everybody in the church to walk by and see their dead church. As they walked by and looked into the casket, you guessed it, there was a mirror, because a dead church is comprised of dead members. God did something special in the life of A.J. Gordon, and his church on that Sunday became a church that became a beacon for Jesus Christ in the New England of its day. Now, let me just close with some current applications of this text for us today. Don't take too seriously what the outside world thinks of your church. Now, we are conscious of what our community thinks of us and we want to put forward a good foot 
But honestly, what we need to be more worried about is what the Lord thinks about our church. And the only true evaluation of a church is the Lord and his word. It is always, therefore, advisable to stay aware of the danger of complacency. It also gives us the assurance of the Lord that he will never, ever, under any circumstance, abandon those that are his. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for each one that's here this evening, and I certainly don't know the condition of their heart, but I know that you do. There may be that there's someone here that has never truly put their faith and trust in you, and so, Lord, we ask that you might speak to their hearts tonight. There may be someone here that, in reality, is only a nominal Christian. They, they're a Christian in name only, but there's no reality behind that. And so, Lord, we ask that you'd speak to their heart and reveal that to them, if that would be the case. There are others who are true Christians, but they've been discouraged by this world. They've been beaten down. Some of them are perhaps just ready to give up. So, Lord, I pray that you'd encourage them and help them to feel your presence this evening. Lord, whatever it is that you want to do in our hearts and lives, we want to turn this time over to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me?